Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Everybody, welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is Tuesday, May 26, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton. I hope you're all having a fantastic evening tonight. If you missed yesterday's show, wow, great musical Monday. We had our good buddy Zach Day from The Voice stop by with his Monday musical minute, filled us in on a couple things from Fiona Apple. And Lindsay Lohan and everything. So be sure to check that out. Also, Stefan Alexander from New York City. He's probably one of my new favorite singer-songwriters right now. We were able to talk to him. And then Tony Award winner Levi Christ stopped by to kick off our very sorted wedding week here. He has got a brand new podcast, a new EP, and a new Sunday brunch music series that was so much fun to talk about. So if you missed any of that, be sure to head to the Let's the Straight Show archives or go to your favorite podcast distributor like Spotify or iHeartRadio, Apple iTunes or Podcast, Google Podcasts, and you will find us. Just look on your Left of Straight Show. In just a little bit, I have a couple of amazing interviews for you. I have Newell and Rosemary Alexander continuing our Sorted Lives Week. They, of course, were in all three of the incarnations from the original show to the series on television to a very sordid wedding. And then I have writer director Mark Schwab calling in from California about his film Crisis Hotline, an LGBT thriller that's very good. I just actually saw it last night. But to start it off, I'm very excited. We're going to bring back my buddy from New York City. He has an amazing blog and blog of his own called Call Me Adam. He's been a great friend of the show. And please welcome back Mr. Adam Rothenberg. Adam, how are you doing tonight, buddy? I'm good. How are you, Scott? I am doing amazing. It's always nice to be able to talk to you. I believe it's been a month already. It feels like we just talked the other day. I know. It goes by so quickly, but I'm so excited to be back and to be talking about all things entertainment and to get to connect with your listeners. It's really wonderful. Well, I'm sure they love having you here. We send everyone over to your podcast. You talk to some amazing people yourself, my friend. What's on your radar this uh, past couple of weeks? Uh, well, I am finally watching uh, Grace and Frankie on Netflix. Um, my boyfriend and I just started watching and we're up to, we're almost done with season three. We should probably be starting season four tonight. So uh, we're loving it. It's so much fun. You know, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin. Uh, I mean, just incredible. Incredible. Have you watched it? 
I saw the first season and then I got out of it and then I'm, I'm horrible. Once I miss something, I don't like to go back, <laughs> but I love mm. the first season. I mean, just having Martin Sheen as a gay, uh, gay, girl, yes. gay dad, <laughs> love that so much. So yes. yeah, great and Sam casting. Waterson. Oh, yes. Sam is amazing. Yes. And he's so good. He's so good. Um, yeah. Cause I too, I like watched, I actually watched the first three seasons and then I fell out of it, but he had never seen it and I really wanted to continue with it. So I was like, let's watch it. Let's watch it. I don't care about rewatching it because it had been so long that I hadn't watched it that it was sort of like it was my first time seeing it. So Nice. When did uh, they start the business? Yeah. Was that season three that you guys were getting into or was that last season? Uh, that was season, the vibrator business. Yeah. Yeah, that's season three. Yeah. Ooh, okay. So we something just, to look yeah, forward so to. We, the boyfriend has something to, to look ahead to. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, they just started that business. So, um, yeah, so uh, so we'll see where it goes. Now, season four I have not seen, so I'm excited to see now where the show goes to. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. And um, on the Broadway front, I mean, I wish I could say that Broadway was going to be back in the fall, but um, it's now looking like maybe it'll be a January start date, depending on what the rules of of social distancing are and where things are at with the pandemic. Um, I mean, uh, there was just an article published today that the Charlotte St. Martin, the head of the uh, Broadway League, is hoping Mm -hmm. for January 1st um, reopen, but there are other people in the industry who are saying it may be more like the spring, um, but they're now people aren't really expecting it to be in the fall. Like it was, it was talked about. Yeah. They were saying Labor Day first, right? Hopefully yeah. Labor Day. Yeah. Yeah. But wow. it's looking less and less like Labor Day. I mean, it's hard because how can you, I mean, the, sh- the shows can't run at half capacity. Like, I mean, really anything in the entertainment world. I mean, a, a sporting event, a film. Exactly. I mean, they, they can't really run it at half capacity. So um, there's a lot of task, for, task forces talking right now about how they can come back in a socially distant world. And, um, I mean, some of the things stated in the article was that maybe attendees would have to would, would have to wear masks and they would have their temperatures taken and but how do you, you know, how do you have a show like at intermission? You can't have one person at a time go to the bathroom, waiting right. for the show beforehand. Everyone's so clustered together. So there's a lot of stuff that still has to be worked out before Broadway can really come back. Um, I know yeah. I saw on social media. I mean, I did see on social media one off-Broadway theater. Um, the Crane Theater was reconfiguring their seating to make it more socially distant. So, I mean maybe that's a little easier for some of the off Broadway houses, but right. um, I mean, I mean, Broadway is just, but I mean, theater in general, is just, it's so expensive to produce that, you know, anything less than what, I mean, I mean, how do you make up that money? And, and sure. I, mean, I don't have the answer to that, but if I did, Smart. I would be in a very different position probably. <laughs> you would be making money or hand over fist right now. Yeah, and then exactly. I understand a lot of the actors are not happy that they're replacing the Tonys with a sing-along to Grease. Um, yes. Have you heard much on that? 
Uh, yes, I mean, the day that it was announced, I mean, my social media feed was flooded with, I can't believe it, why can't they do a compilation of past Tony Award shows or past Tony Award, not shows, but past Tony Award performances or, like, some kind of, like, um, theater special, like some kind of ode to the theater. Um, But actually now a few of the online outlets, um, I think Broadway.com is doing one. Um, they're doing some kind of theater compilation that night that they're going to oh, stream. Good. So, yeah, so there will be something for the people that want to watch the Tony Awards. And for other people, there will be the Grease sing-along. And it's the movie, of the, the sing-along to the movie with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. So, um, Right. Not even a play. <laughs> yeah, it's right, kind, of, right. it kind of a shot in the stomach for a lot of the actors and same thing um, my broadway people not as connected as you but my guys were blowing it up and not happy campers so and i understand yeah. that. i mean especially as good as zoom is getting now i mean the recent um you can't stop the beat hairspray zoom was amazing um they're doing oh my god that was so many great good things video. yeah yeah yes. I mean, there's so much there's so much content out there. Yeah, it is disappointing. But at the same time, I mean, from CBS's standpoint, they probably feel like they will make more money from the Grease sing-along than than airing, a, you know, a theater-related special. I mean, they must think that more people are going to tune into the Grease sing-along than some kind of Tony Award compilation or theater um, right. m- montage and. Um, I don't know. I mean, I look forward to the Tony Awards every year. I, I mean, because I used to work for for Spotco, which was which is the number one ad agency, Broadway ad agency in New York City. I mean, we had a Tony okay. Awards party every year. We would go to either a few years we had it at the office. Some years we went to a restaurant and we would just all watch it together. Um, so mm, right. it definitely is, will be something missing that day but um but it's nice that that broadway.com is going to have their streaming of of uh theater special so there'll be something to watch um and um i know on the broadway podcast network where i have my podcast bearing it all with call me adam um uh one of the podcast hosts um ilana who hosts um little known facts she's starting um a new podcast of Tony of uh, uh, featuring past Tony award winners. So, um, yeah. So leading up to the week of, of the Tony award, she's going to be having special episodes. So that's something to tune in to as well. Um, Your listeners can go to the Broadway to Broadway podcast network.com and um, look for Alana show there. And, um, uh, what else? Ben Platt just released a special on Netflix about a concert at uh, uh, Radio City, and it's sort of like a documentary, plus him in concert, um, which is on my list to watch this weekend. And you have to watch it. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's good. So good. He is I so open wait. and honest and fun and his singers he brings up his backup is amazing and the little stories in between you're going to love every second of it it's very oh that's great i I, I can't wait i tweeted after i wasn't 
happy with his fashion choice, but <laughs> what, I he, saw he that. Him, whatever, <laughs> whatever blows his hair back, but it was an amazing performance. You guys are going to enjoy it. Very cool. Oh, good. I can't wait. I can't wait. And I'm also hoping to watch um, the 92nd Street Y um, extended their viewing of, um, they did uh, like a, a benefit concert of Love, Loss, and What I Wore that was at the West Side Theater for a number of years, and they had um, a, a cast with, uh, it was with Rosie O'Donnell and Lucy DeVito, who's Danny DeVito's daughter, Carol Kane, and there was one more person. It was only supposed to run through May 25th, but they extended it to July 2nd. So uh, 92nd Street dot, 92nd Street dot org, uh, they can watch that there as well. Very cool. I'm to watch this weekend. And yeah, and... Um, I have to have Lucy DeVito also... on my show. She's come across my radar like six times in the last month. People have worked with her and said she's amazing. So I just yes. heard her name so much. It's just weird. Got to get her on the yes. show. But I'm sorry, Nora. Yes. Oh, no, that's okay. And um, uh, Julie Halston started an online talk show called Virtual Halston every Friday at 5 o'clock on um, Broadway World's uh, YouTube page. Um she has her show uh, where she interviews a celebrity from Broadway. So she kicked it off with Mario Cantone and um, Jim Caruso uh, from Broadway cast party at Birdland uh, produces the show. And coming up in the next few weeks, she has um, Charles Bush. She's going to have comedian Judy Gold. She's going to have Lily Cooper and Santino Fontana from uh, Tootsie. So, yeah, she has a lot of great people coming up. Nice. That sounds amazing. I yeah, it's so much fun. I watched the first episode. It was great. Very cool. Anything else for us? we got just a couple minutes uh, left here. Uh, that's it. I mean, for me, I just released a podcast interview with um, Scott Turner Schofield. He's a um, he's a trans uh gendered actor and we talk all about his his um transformation and um we talk about he just got emmy nominated for the amazon prime series um studio city and he has a phenomenal storyline on that show uh so that's exciting and also um the amazon prime show after forever mary beth peel who was on dawson's creek and um the good wife she also just got nominated uh, for a Daytime Emmy Award. And I have a podcast episode with her as well. And we do like a whole career retrospective with her. She was amazing. And lastly, Entertainment Weekly this week is doing uh, an All My Children uh, reunion every day this week with various cast members. So I cannot wait to watch that as well. There you go. Adam Rothenberg yeah. from Call Me Adam. Thanks so much for doing our East Coast Entertainment Minute. That was fantastic, my friend. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to talking to you and, and all your listeners again next month. I enjoy having you on monthly. Thank you so much. I think the last one we didn't get to was Cheyenne Jackson's amazing um, Instagram post. But we'll talk about that another time. Because I thought that yes, was pretty we'll save that uh, amazing. for next month. Very good. All right. Well, thanks so much. Go ahead and stand the line for me. Guys, we're okay. going to take a quick musical break with Matt Stern, Travel Around Your World. 
When we come back, we're going to have the amazing acting duo, Newell and Rosemary Alexander, as we continue our very sordid lives week right here on the Left of Straight Show. Be back in just a couple minutes. Listen up. guys we are back that was our buddy matt stern from canada with travel around your world guys we are continuing our very sordid week here celebrating 
sorted lives as they're getting ready for a huge fundraiser for theater companies across America this Sunday. My next guests are very near and dear to my heart. It's been way too long since we chatted in person and not just on social media. He's an actor, musician, voiceover actor, Navy pilot, and award-winning advertising designer and art director. His beautiful wife is also an actor and voiceover actor, and together they've raised five children, one son-in-law, and a beautiful garden. And they're award-winning singer-songwriters for their hit song, Burned Down the Trailer Park at the Purple Room in Palm Springs. I can't wait to speak to him, so please welcome back to the show the lovely and talented Mr. Newell Alexander and his lovely bride, Rosemary Alexander. Hey, guys, how we doing? Hey, Scott, we're just tickled pink to be here with you again. Oh, absolutely. Uh, thanks for that introduction. It makes me feel a lot better about myself. Yeah, we've just been hanging out at the house here until we just start to feel like, you know, mom and pop. So it's it's really <laughs> nice to have this to have this benefit come along and have an opportunity to see all of our sordid family again and to talk to you. We we talked to um we did the Mama Rose show the other day and uh, I got saw to talk that. to How fun. It was so much fun. <clears throat> and just, just you know, I, I, Leslie Jordan has become such a big whip in the entertainment business these days. I can't right. wait to see him even virtually and do our our Doctor Eve and Brother Boy scene again. Oh my God! I, you know, every time these guys get together uh, and do this, I keep saying they got to do an act. You know, they must they must <laughs> do a club act. I, I, I think I think Sorted Lives is our act. I, <laughs> I don't I don't know what we could do any any more outrageous than that. You know, it, it's interesting that when um, when we first did the movie, I I thought the character of the psychiatrist was wacky and you know kind of off the charts crazy herself. And then I realized recently that conversion therapy is something that's been going on for a long time. And I think Del Shores is the first writer to really address that. So right. I, I feel kind of kind of proud of that role. Dr. Eve is such a dark, mean character that uh, sometimes I get a little embarrassed at how mean I am. But, uh, <laughs> you know... She does serve a purpose to remind us that that's, that's going on in the real world. No, very true. Very true. I hear about it all the time, especially people in the Mormon religion. It goes, it's still happening to this day quite a bit. So you're right. That's a, that's a great point to make. I appreciate that. I have so many things I want to talk to you about. Um, well, let's kind of start from the beginning. You guys have been in this from the very start, I mean, we're talking the original Sorted Lives movie, Sorted Lives the series, very sorted wedding. Did either of you ever do the play before the movie series started? We both, yeah, we both did. Oh, absolutely. We met Dell originally when when we were doing a country western uh, uh, bluegrass musical in Hollywood, and he came to see the show, and uh, he he ended up bringing me a script for a play called Cheatin', and that was his first play, and then I I was in Cheatin'. 
And uh, then, you know, the rest is history. You know, Rosemary and I did all of it. We did sets. We did production stills. We did all the programs. Uh, I designed and built sets. And, you know, we did the publicity, you know, all of that whole thing. Of course, you know, along with Dell's energy, uh, you know, those little shows were successful. We started in like 36 seat theaters. So we're going to try to help the theaters with this benefit. You know, how we got started in show business was in a little tiny theater. Yes, Dell, after that first show, Cheatin', we became very, very good friends with Dell. And his second play, Daddy's Dying, I worked in, and there wasn't really a role for Newell in it, although he ended up taking over the role of Daddy, who was supposed to be 80 years old and dying, and Newell at the time was 52, (laughs) I think. So, um, But then when... when, Yes, when he came, when Dell came out and he started to work on Sorted Lives, he called me one day and he said, Rosemary, would you take your bra off on stage? And I said, well, yeah, if it's all handled well. And he said, okay. I said, I'm just working on a character I think you'd be great for. So that that was the first I heard of Sorted Lives. And um, well, a few was- months later, we... Sorry? No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to ask a question. Months, I finish your thought. Okay. A few months later, he had a reading of the play in his living room with pretty much the, uh, you know, the core of the original cast of the movie, which was Newell and uh, Beth Grant and me, Patrika Darbo, um, Ann Walker, and uh, several other Folks. And then, then after that, the movie ran for 14 months, and about a year and a half later, then we filmed the film, and that's when Bonnie Bedelia and Bo Bridges came on board, and uh, Beth Grant, the yeah, Beth did the movie. When we did the series, Beth wasn't available, so that's when Caroline Ray came in. Right. So the, the 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 group just gets bigger and bigger, but we're really thrilled because Beth Grant's going to be back playing Sissy in the reading next week. She, she came, she's going to come with her hair done like Sissy. <laughs> <laughs> so that should be fun. I love it. Oh, that's great. And Olivia Newton, Olivia Newton John was busy. I mean, she wasn't able to to do the reading, but she is going to do. A, a special appearance for us, a special promo. So we're we're That's really fantastic. happy about that. She's such a dear, sweet, lovely person. You know, it's just always nice to see her and have her be with us again. Right. That's awesome. Well, I was going to ask you, Rosemary, about your character. I mean, Dr. Eve Bollinger, um, not not the nicest person in there. And you said Dell wrote that specifically for you. I was wondering if you had a choice of other characters or if that was uh, how that role came about. And what was your favorite part of playing her? Well, he, he Dell actually wrote that role for me. I mean, he he wrote pretty much all of those roles. He wrote Lavanda for Ann Walker. He wrote Wardell for Newell, and um, he wrote Sissy with Beth Grant in mind. And um, you know, so I mean, I was thrilled. And the thing that I 
love the most about Dr. Eve is working with Leslie Jordan, honestly. Um, well, Dr. That, Eve that is amazing. my next bitch. question in a second. Definitely. <laughs> and, and, Newell, I want to talk about Wardell. I mean, in a lot of ways, he's the heart of the show. I mean, keeping the peace in the bar, rescuing Brother Boy. Uh, talk about what that role was like for you. Well, the uh, Wardell role is almost the exact role that I did um, in uh, Cheaton, a, a character his name was was Sid Cranford, and uh, he had all the same qualities as Wardell. He played guitar, he sang, you know, all of that, and uh, uh, I just I just carried that character along, and you know, and Dell, of course, you know, Dell was our son-in-law at one time, and uh, I always said yes. You know, Wendell said, uh, you want to do a role, you know, and uh, I never had to do a lot of character development to do to do to do the role uh, because, uh, you know, I've been doing it for, what, 25 years or something. Well, and honestly, Scott, the role of Wardell is very much like Newell. It's, you know, Dell wrote the characters for us and and Newell is all those things. He's warm. He takes care of his family. Um, he's just a good guy. Sweet guy, easy going, you know, handsome. There you I go. I say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say the same thing. He he is a silver fox. You got a good one there, Rosemary. Well, let's talk about. I want to talk about your scenes with Leslie, brother boy. I mean, that's pretty much your scene partner for most of the movie. So you started with that seven years ago, and now, as you said, he has become this internet sensation over corona quarantine but just talk about from the time of 2000 to 2007 and sorted wedding uh was there any difference in leslie what was he the same character you've always seen what how did you see his character grow and what was it like to play him from the original series to a very sorted wedding you know the wonderful thing about leslie as a person, first of all, we we were friends. Leslie and I were friends for probably 15 years before we did the play and the movie and the series. I mean, Leslie is like family to us. He he knows all of our kids. He was always really sweet to Newell's mother. So he he's he's a friend. And working with him, I didn't know what that would be like. But he proved to be so steady and so consistent and so professional, you could just always count on the fact in the scene that Leslie would be there with you. That Except he would. in Nashville. Well, we at won't that talk big about theater that. in Nashville. Oh, my God. <laughs> we had one little moment. We had a little moment on stage in Nashville when I actually went up. I, I said a line, and I looked at him, and all of a sudden, I had no idea where I was. And we improvised a couple of lines and then Leslie just stopped and he looked at me and we had like a thousand people in the house. And Leslie said, Rosemary, where are we? And I said, I don't have a clue. (laughs) And the audience just screamed. They They were fans. They were people who knew the lines. In fact, afterwards, Probably 200 people came up to me and said, I knew the line. I just didn't know if I should say it. <laughs> and I said, yes. Anyway, oh, we, we're, yeah, working, working with him is, is, 
is just delightful. He's just a sweetheart. That is such a great story. And as I said, you guys have worked through all of the incarnations with it. And now you're going to be back this Sunday, Noel, with Bo, who you played a lot of scenes with in yeah. the original movie. Talk about that. How's that reunion going to be? Well, I tell you what, I I I just love him. I just love him. He's a uh, he's a really solid solid guy. Uh, I mean, he's a real citizen. Uh, his uh, his dad, you know, of course, was Lloyd Bridges, and uh, yeah. I, I worked with his dad. Gosh, you know, twenty five or thirty years ago on a job, and he was so sweet and so nice. And uh, Bo's just a, a chip off the old block. Uh, you know, he's sweet, nice, considerate. Uh, he wants to work. He wants to work the characters and that whole thing. In fact, he's at one point. Uh, who, who was it? He was talking to maybe Delta, maybe Delta. And he said, he said, he said, let's build a history of who we were and, and all that. And Delta <laughs> said, honey, I have a hard enough time with the lines. <laughs> she said, I, oh, that's funny. I just say the words and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> but he's that. a real actor. He's a real actor, that boy. And he's become a friend too. We we went to his book signing, and he he came out to some fundraisers that we did with Family Equality. And he always greets you with a hug and how are you? And you know, he's a real family guy. Yeah. He's just delightful yeah, we're to be both, with. We're both writing books. Bo is Bo's in the process of writing a book, and I am too. And uh, we commiserate from time to time on stories. And he's got, has he's a story about John Wooden, the UCLA coach. It's unbelievable. I mean, really good. But oh my we're goodness. so excited about, about helping these little theaters. My God, uh, you know, if they'd helped us when we got started in Texas, we were playing a little a little uh, theater at the at the Garland City Park, nineteen seats. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> we did. We did well, I mean, in New York. It's going to be like that soon until they figure out what's going on with this Corona thing. I think uh, 50 seats and under are going to be the way to go for a while. I think there's going to be resurgence in that. I don't know if that's how, what Dell yeah. has in mind for future writing or you guys, but uh, it's going to be a little strange for a while. I just had on my buddy from New York, Adam, who does the New York theater scene, and they're looking now to January or spring to reopen Broadway. So just because oh, of the logistics. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think a 50-seat a theater might be the way to go again. We're going to see what happens there. Um, I want to talk well, about – oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Rosemary. Oh, I was just going to say we've, we've worked in 1925, 40-seat theaters, and it's not a bad way to see theater for the audience because you're almost on stage with the actors. I, I personally yeah. love working in small spaces. Yeah, I, I hard love to make any money, but Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there is no money in it. There's there's not money in theater that much to begin with unless you're a producer and no. that takes forever to get that. So <laughs> right? right. It takes a while to recoup yeah. money in theater. Yeah. Uh, but you well, know, I think out of the out of the uh, things we've learned about doing readings, I've been doing play readings for writers on Zoom, and Dell's been teaching cl- writing classes and acting classes right. on Zoom. Maybe we'll figure out the way to incorporate that 
in the future. Maybe that will be something good that comes out of all this. I think so. I think we're going to learn a lot of new things here, and the industry is going to change a lot. We just got to cross our fingers and hope it's for the better. But I I definitely think we're going to learn some stuff out of this. That's for sure. I want to go through some of these characters over the years, and you can use any incarnation, the play, Sorted Lives, the series, or Wedding. Uh, I want to ask you a couple things here. Who was the actor most likely to crack a joke or be funniest on the set, in your guys' and each of your opinions? So that would be Newell. That would be me. <laughs> he, uh-huh. He's the prankster. Even even beyond I like Leslie. It. I have I like a story that. about Leslie. In, I have a story about Leslie in my book. Uh, it's called Comeback Barry Manilow. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, Newell is just legendary for pranks on the set. And Bill is always warning him, Newell, I have producers coming tonight. Please don't pull any pranks. <laughs> I, should send, I should send you my story, The Fart. It's about it's about our our assorted plays. Well, we have to oh. tell him one 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 night. Newell put out planted a fart machine that with a remote control in the audience when we were doing Southern Baptist Sissies, and he had the piano oh, no. players set it off at a random time during the show. And when he did, it sounded like this poor guy sitting in the front row of the audience had let a big fart. So. <laughs> Newell goes over to him and ad-libs, and he puts his hand over his head, and he says, Oh, Lord, heal this man of his terrible affliction. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's great. Well, we're going to talk about Instagram before we go here, and just your Instagram handle alone could give us a clue, and you get uh, my award for the best use of a sprinkler head anywhere, Newell. I love that. (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, we'll, <laughs> oh Lord! We, we we will. There you go. We'll definitely talk about that. Who was? Uh, what um, actor was the most prepared uh, across the series? Rosemary. Well, and and actually, Beth Beth Grant. I think I think Beth and Bonnie Bedelia has an unbelievable, almost photographic memory. True. You know, she oh, wow. has long, page-long monologues, and she just comes in and just rolls them off. Um, she's that is amazing. Awesome. So let's go the opposite way. Who was the most likely to flub a line? Sarah Hunley, Juanita. <laughs> <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? That's hilarious. <laughs> I know. Juanita, Juanita is who Sarah was, bless her heart, you know, God rest your soul, as they say in the South. But um, especially in a very sordid wedding, she was um, not in good health and her memory was failing. And uh, right. I think it, it was some, it was a struggle, you know, Dell had to feed her a lot of lines, but you know what? She got the laughs. There you go. You know. Well, she will be yeah. missed. That's for sure. She's going to be missed oh, this boy. Sunday. And speaking of her, well, I mean, she's one of the ones that comes to mind for me 
who had the best use of a prop between cigarettes and wooden legs and everything else in between? Who do you think had the best use of their prop? Your bra and Leslie's wigs? I nominate Ann Walker with her chicken legs. <laughs> you know, she she's eating a chicken leg in that scene, and she says something racy, and, and Sissy says, uh, do you eat with that mouth too? And and waves her chicken leg, and she says, mostly. And then she puts it in her mouth. <laughs> and then she eats it, yeah. <laughs> Cute. Well, we probably answered this one here earlier. Who is most like their character? Would that be Newell again? Yeah, and, and, and Ann Walker, too. Ann is yeah. a lot like Lavanda. Oh, yeah. She really is. Ann Newell's a lot like... The two of them getting married in, in a very sordid wedding it was perfect because they, they are those two people. And, you know, uh-huh. and as LaVonda is, is, talks big and all that, but underneath it, she's a real softy. There you I mean, go. She is the one who wants to, yeah, she is the one who wants to get Brother Boy out of the mental institution. Yeah. Right. That's true. That's true. And who was the least like their character? I think that's me. That could be true, yeah. I'm I'm you know, anybody who knows me, I'm I'm really Cub Scouts and PTA. Um Bill will tell <laughs> you he he writes he writes these bitch on wheel roles for me, but it's nothing like <laughs> who I am. Very, very I'm looking, good. Well guys I, well, That's I have to say, in a very sorted wedding, Emerson Collins in in a very sorted yeah. wedding, Emerson plays the hitchhiker murderer, and nothing could be farther from who that's, he is. That's very true. Yeah, that's true Although too. You're right. Tough. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> he did rock the the shaved head though, pretty good. I did like I did like the look. That was it was scary. Yes, it was a good did. look on him there. <laughs> he carried off. He carried off the tattoos too. Yeah, he did. There you wow. go. You're yeah. right. You're right. All right. Well, I want to move on to a couple things, but that's going to be this Sunday, five o'clock Pacific, eight o'clock Eastern. You're going to be reading the stage play, correct? You guys will all be reading the stage play. Yes. Yes. And Del. And Del you guys are raising. Read... Go ahead. Del, well, Dell will read some stage directions, but I don't think much. And he's playing the preacher. Yeah. He's going to play a role in it. Nice. And I like that Emerson's going to play uh, the role as well. That, that, uh, because, um, oh, what's, what's his name? Ty. Ty. Ty, <laughs> Ty uh, Kirk. Get... Thank you, Kirk. Yeah. Sorry uh, about that. Yeah, Kurt, Kurt Geiger. Yeah, Emerson is going to do it, and it, I think it's perfect. Emerson has become such an essential part of the Sorted Lives family. He and Dell are writing partners, and Emerson right. has shown himself to be a wonderful actor. And uh, reading those monologues, not an easy thing, but I, I trust Emerson will carry it off in great style. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, he, he. I mean, if anyone that can do the buyer and seller play for an hour and a half, being the only person on stage, I have full faith in him. So that is true for sure. And this there benefit, go. 
Sunday is going to raise money for over 20 theater companies, including my little Evolution Theater Company here in Columbus, which I absolutely love you guys doing. Thank you so much for that. And there's also going to be an auction involved. You guys, did you find any fun things from yourself for the auction? Wardell's belt. Genuine Mexican silver. And one of oh my, my red bras. Yeah, a red bra. Oh, like oh, it. The auction is going to be spectacular. Dell had so many costumes and set pieces. And uh, I think I think that's going to be fun. We just we just want to raise as much money as we possibly can to help these little theaters. They're important for actors. They're important for communities. And they're nonprofit. They they just always barely manage to stay afloat. So in these times, they just they can't make it. They will not survive if they don't get some. Them help, so we we hope we can do something significant for Absolutely. them. Absolutely. <clears throat> well said. Well, we appreciate it, and you guys don't have to wait until Sunday. If you go right now to www.delshoresfoundation.org, org, we're taking donations now, right up and through the entire event and everything. So jump on there yes. and throw a couple bucks out there. That's amazing. Yes, I think we. We have already raised a a little bit of money. That's fantastic. I love it. All right, well, let's jump on. We just have a couple minutes left. You know that I love you guys from a singing duo. I kind of teased in your intro where you guys won the uh, contest, the talent contest at the Purple Room. You guys raised money there there all the time. I was not there, but I I have little spies everywhere. (laughs) <laughs> and I know you've raised money for many of an event at the Purple Room. You guys have been very good to Palm Springs, and they've been good to you guys. Uh, Cornbread yeah. Society, you guys were so kind last time we had you on to send me a CD. It's still one of my prized possessions for my travels as I drive. Talk about what music means to you guys. Well, music, when when Newell and I first met, he was just learning to play the guitar and he, he worked on that for a, you know, a couple of months. And then he, he said, I need to learn a song. And I grew up in a family where everybody sang. When we got together, we sat around and we sang and I, I learned to sing harmony very young. So I said, well, you learn a song and I'll sing harmony. I'll give you some backup. So we started singing, and um, the first good job we got out in L.A. when we came out here was um, a commercial for Kellogg's Eggo French Toast, and we sang the jingle, and not because we were such brilliant singers, but because we were so authentically country. Let go, my ego, set me free, don't break up our family. Oh, I There's love a little it. history. I love, it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh my goodness. And Newell, talk about music to you. What's what's that meant to you over the years here, performing with your lovely well, bride? I, um, yeah, my family never ever we they weren't musical. Um and uh I you know, I never never played music, although my mother always said, You can sing, why don't you? And I, I really never did. 
and I was a good friend of Kenny Rogers when uh, in college, and uh, we were party one night, and uh, Kenny was singing, and all these everybody's just falling over and that whole thing, and uh, I said, Kenny, goddamn, he said, we learned to play guitar, man, you can do that, you know. <laughs> so I, I started, I started trying to play, you know. I still don't play very well, but uh, I can play enough for Rosemary and I to sing. There you go. Truly. We're the, we we bill ourselves the the fifth or sixth best living room singers in North Hollywood, California. <laughs> we're, we're probably fourth. Like we're it. probably fourth now. Yeah, we may have very moved up to nice. fourth now. <laughs> <laughs> very very good. Well, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. We're going to finish up with five questions. A little goofy thing I've been doing with all my guests. So I got five questions to ask you guys. You can each take turns here. Uh, Left and Straight Show is all about entertainment, foodies, and books. What is a favorite food? And if my listeners were visiting the L.A. area about where you guys are at, what's a restaurant recommendation for them? Rosemary? Oh, so many good restaurants. Um, uh, Java. Oh, what is the name? Jumpin' Java. Jumpin' Java on Ventura Boulevard, Mediterranean food. Nice. And what is your favorite go-to comfort food for you, Rosemary? A cornbread. Nice. I make a. Nope. I make great cornbread. Yes, she does. <laughs> I like it. No, what about you? Uh, restaurant recommendation and a favorite food for you. Well, we haven't gone out out too terribly much, but there's a there's a restaurant called Casa del Sol, and uh, that's just by Universal Studios on Lancashire, and it's uh, Italian cuisine and a great star watching place. Oh, nice! I like it. Very good. All right, question number two: Are you guys readers at all? Do you have a favorite book or genre to recommend to the listeners? I, I read every night. I'm I've finished the Dutch House and I'm currently reading the the Yaya Sisterhood, which Dell gave me by Rebecca Wells, and I'm loving her writing. Nice. What about you? Do you read much at I, all, Noah? Mine, mine is an author named John Binder, and the book is called Who Needs Heaven, and it's a book of true stories from his life. Uh, very much like I want to write my, well, I'm almost finished with my book, but uh, it's a similar type of book. And it's, uh, you know, it t- talks about uh, um, dealing around Hollywood and, you know, that whole thing. And uh, it's a very interesting book. Who Needs Heaven? John Binder. It's on Amazon. Fantastic. Great recommendation. Thank you. All right. Question number three. Which do you prefer, email or a letter, Rosemary? Well, I'm a modern woman. I love email, although I appreciate letters, and I do have friends with beautiful penmanship who occasionally sit down and write to me, but um, we move pretty fast, so I, I really appreciate the words and the thought, however it comes to me. Ah, well said. Newell? Email. Emails for me. I I, I I say I write a lot of letters. I draw a lot of letters, but I, I uh, <laughs> and I, and I, I send art on email too. But just 
for art for art mail and for uh, communication email. Nice. All right, question number four. Outside of your Sorted Lives family, who would you guys love to either co-star with or have direct you? Well, co-star with. You know, I, 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 were, I did an episode of Criminal Minds last year, and I worked with Joe Montagna, and he was absolutely so kind and so nice and so professional. I, I wouldn't mind doing a co-star role with him. I like that. No? Meryl Streep. I've worked with her oh, twice already. I'd love to work for her, with her again as a co-star. That would be an She's amazing terrific. pairing. I love it. She's terrific. All right, and final question from our music aficionados there. What is a favorite uh, album or CD? A favorite CD. You know, I I ordered Levi Crisis Christmas CD last year, and I listened to it, and I just loved it. I mean, I was a big fan of Johnny Mathis, so Ooh, yeah. it, it reminds me of that. It's it's you know Levi's usually a hard hitting rock and roller, but this is so mellow and smooth and um i just loved it i think it's it's one of the best things levi's done and he's done a lot of great stuff but that's my pick fantastic no well you know i it's i don't really listen to music all that much um i listen to individual songs i don't i don't listen to albums too much but uh you know, I can't think of a, a name of an album. Uh, who, who, who's the, uh, the Dell's friend? Yeah. Yeah, we're blanking. Anyway. That's um, all right. I caught you off guard there. That's all right. We'll we'll think of it. it, it we'll have to do the follow-up. I'll ask it again when you come back for your book tour in a couple of months yeah, or so. I'll we'll have to, we'll yeah, have to I, ask I it again. I don't have a name of an album, but I'll tell you an artist I love. Paul Thorne. Paul Thorne. And he 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 did the he he did the song that we that we used at the Purple Room. Burn down the trailer. Burn down park. the trailer park. Yeah. Oh, great! That's awesome. All right, we there recorded our own version of it. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you did. All right. Well, Newell <laughs> and Rosemary Alexander, you are some of the best guests. I love having you on. I'm loving following the Instagram, Rosemary. We're seeing garden footage. We're seeing color. Um, let everyone know where they can follow you on the Instagram. Um, I'm Rosemary Alexander, 1941, and Newell. I'm I'm Newell Prank. Newell Prank. There you go. That that sums up Newell completely, and what that man can do with a brown paper bag. You don't want to know. On the air. We'll talk no, about it another don't. time. No, you do not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Guys, I am so looking forward to Sunday. It's going to be an amazing time. Thanks for stopping by the Left of Straight show. Thanks, Scott. It was great to be with you again. And Thanks I, for the good work. Yeah, we're really looking forward to, to Sunday evening, and I hope a lot of people will, will tune in and will send us a few bucks or a lot of bucks to help support all these little nonprofit theaters around the country. Yeah, they deserve the help for sure. There you go. Well, I am going to be watching with bells on. Mama Linda and I already donated $200, and we have another little thing we're putting together for Sunday. So you guys stay on the line for me, guys. We're going to go ahead and play out. When I come back, I'm going to have my interview with writer-director Mark Schwab. His new LGBT thriller film, Crisis Hotline. We'll be talking all about that and more. You're listening to the Left and Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. All right.
guys, we are back. That was Brandon and James with You Belong. Brandon and James are going to be our special guests on June 1st. They have a new album coming out, so be sure to look for that. My next guest, guys, is a writer and director who hails from outside the Hollywood mainstream, not too far from my old haunt in Monterey. He writes, directs, edits, and basically has done it all behind the camera and a little in front as well. His latest film, Crisis Hotline, Shadows in Mind, stars two good friends of the show, Pano T and Christian Lopez, who've both been on pretty recently. I've been getting more and more interested in the horror psychological genre lately, and his films are just what the doctor ordered. So please welcome to the show for the very first time, Mr. Mark Schwab. Mark, how you doing, buddy? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate having you on. We have been running around the same circles with this film of yours with uh, a couple of my guests. Christian's been a great friend of the show for a long time, and so has Pano. So we've talked about it because this has uh, been hitting film festival circuits, and it's got got a DVD release. So welcome aboard, my friend. I can't wait to talk to you about that and so much more. Oh, yeah. Well, it's interesting you say film festival that's a whole that's a whole thing on itself with this movie uh the main thing it's been doing it's hit uh it's on deku it just just went on deku recently uh which is great we've that's been deku has been really really cool about the movie and about uh you know doing some social media stuff for it it's also on here tv and amazon prime so it's making those rounds and uh hopefully people are enjoying it there you go we'll get into all that in just a bit let's start Easy stuff first. And first, how are you doing in Corona 2020? Are you starting to get – you're in California where things are still pretty much on lockdown. Are you holding up okay? How's everyone doing there? Yeah, we're doing okay. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate, uh, de- definitely lucky. Uh, you know, my, my husband works from home, uh, and I do a lot of work from home. So it wasn't a, a huge shift there. Of course, I would – I'm looking forward to this being over, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, let's talk about a little bit of background. Let my listeners know where did you grow up? What kind of a kid were you? And what did you first dream about being when you grew up? <laughs> well, I, I grew up in San Jose. Uh, I've lived in a few cities since then, but I, I did. I, I was born and raised in San Jose. I was, I was the John Hughes Breakfast Club generation. That was that was me. Uh, so, from a from an early age, my both my parents were big movie fans. So we went to the movies a lot, and we went and saw a lot of different kinds of films, not just you know G-rated films. Um, they were pretty open-minded about that. So I grew up on those John Hughes movies, really. I, those were some of my favorites uh, growing up. But I loved horror films, too. I watched all the Friday the 13th and the Halloweens, and uh, I just loved movies. And it all really, I think, what really cemented it uh, was the first movie I made in 1987 with a camcorder with my current business partner, Mark Balunas. Uh, we made this film on VHS in a hundred degree weather. We shot all day and we had the best time. It was just fantastic. So that was that after that, everything else was kind of second place. And that's, that's what started it for sure. Very, very cool. And you've been uh, doing some excellent LGBT film work and everything. When did you first come out to yourself? And how have you found the LGBTQ filmmaking community in general? Ooh, well, I I definitely had known certainly by high school as far as who I was, uh, and you know, being gay in the '80s was a lot different than being gay today. 
even in a pretty liberal enclave, it was still difficult. You still wanted to hide it. And I, and I hid it by playing sports uh, is kind of what I did. Uh, I wasn't, you know, like a theater type necessarily. Uh, so I played sports and I, you know, as far as the LGBT filmmaking community, I haven't made that many LGBT films really at all. Uh, Crisis hotline, was kind of the most high-profile one. I did do another one in 2001 called Pins and Needles, another kind of a real micro-budget feature film that did film festivals and stuff. But overall, I haven't really been, I guess, that embraced by the LGBT filmmaking community because um, it's interesting, especially with this film, with Crisis Hotline, uh, we didn't get into one LGBT film festival that we entered. We entered about 12 and we didn't get into any of them. They rejected all, they all I rejected, that. which was shocking. Yeah. Which was really shocking to a lot of people. And, you know, I'll keep the film festival anonymous, but I did talk to one person from one festival that kind of had an inside thing. And he told me that LGBT film festivals, now to be fair, this is back in 2018 or whatever. Uh, but right. they all wanted really, you know, kind of positive coming out stories uh, and they didn't know what to make of my film. Uh, my film doesn't, you know, Crisis Hotline doesn't have a political agenda. It doesn't have a, a message in that way, per se. It's a thriller right. that happens to have gay characters in it. And I, so I think gay film festivals, at least back then, a lot of them really want a political message or something that fits. And this one didn't really fit. Uh, so I haven't been, I don't want to necessarily be known as a, LGBT filmmaker. I just want to tell interesting right. stories, whether they're gay or straight or whatever. And this one, I just thought fit uh, for what was interesting to me at the time. Did that well, answer that, the that's why I, I kind of put it. In, <laughs> yeah, it does. That's why I kind of put it in that way. I know you have you all types mm-hmm. of films, but I, I read the story where you were having trouble getting into film festivals, and I just thought that was mm-hmm. interesting. I wanted to see what made that unique in the LGBT industry. So yeah, that's. Um, it's sad that that's what kind of that we're trying to gentrify our own filmmaking, so to speak, with just the coming out stories and everything. When you think about it, you would think we'd want to have that as much diversity in films as we have diversity in our community. So very interesting. Yeah, you would think so. And, and again, to be fair, it's it's one one film festival person told me that, and I only did enter right. twelve of them. Uh, but still, I was surprised. Uh, like I said, no one, I mean, I talked to Chris Gore at, at Film Threat, and he was shocked, you know, that this didn't get into any of the film festivals that, that we entered it in. He was very, very surprised, and he's a, an expert on film festivals. Uh, so it's just, I think people just didn't know what to make of it, and I think some people still don't know what to make of this film. It's uh, it, 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 it's an unusual movie, it seems, to people, and most people have told me they've liked it better watching it multiple times uh, because it's not a classic horror film, uh, and it's a little outside the box genre-wise. It's, you know, it's kind of like, like, like an independent eyes wide shut more than anything else, not, you know, right, not so much right. a classic horror film. You know? It's a psychosexual thriller. <laughs> well, and, and it's very relevant to today's, society i think and and like i said we'll talk about the the Mm -hmm. plot of the film i mean it has a a gay dating app background to it it has a suicide hotline background to it it has as you said it's a building horror is not necessarily the best word maybe suspense because it really does build 
you're not really sure what to make of things, which is what I find fascinating. I like that. I like more suspense than horror. I'm not a big blood and guts guy. I like the suspense part, and then I'll take a little bit of blood and guts. So talk about (laughs) creating that story and building those layers and using the tools of the trade today, such as dating apps. Yeah, for me, I always – I find, you know, having grown up not in the world of dating apps, <laughs> obviously, but of course <laughs> I've used them. Uh, I think most of us have. And I, and one thing too that I, I wanted to make clear is, you know, I'm not judging the dating apps. I never wanted to judge it. Uh, I don't think there's anything right. inherently bad about them. It was mainly about what what I was thinking about was, you know, if someone was sociopathic enough. It is a way. It is something that could be abused. It's it's kind of a nightmarish, a potentially nightmarish scenario that could happen with this, uh, and a way to exploit someone um, pretty brutally. So I wanted to make it a believable nightmare if I could, and I wanted to definitely lean more on atmosphere and more on dread. I wanted to create an atmosphere of building dread to where the audience would be you know, kind of screaming at, at the lead character, my God, why, you know, look at these red flags. You need to <laughs> turn around and go the opposite way. <clears throat> and not only have I known people personally, but I've also had this mistake myself where you don't want to believe the red flags because the person you're with is, is worth it. You want to make it work. You don't want to just give up. Why be afraid? And so you start justifying within yourself that, oh, it's really a big-time red flag. It must be me. You know, I'm inexperienced or I'm just you know, closed-minded or I'm a prude or whatever you want to fill in the gap there. And in reality, you should take those red flags seriously. You should trust your instincts and not just your sexual or lonely desire um, so quickly. Right. Yeah, dating apps basically created the catfish mentality in society out there uh, where people just – there's a whole genre of that of thing people seeing that that it's like yeah there's red flags were there but you're believing it all the way and no I don't need to meet the person or see them visually live <laughs> we'll wait two years mm-hmm. before this happens it's like I never understood that very very strange and true culture that kind of existed out of that uh, talk about the film and finding the finding the actors I understand you you filmed back up in San Jose. And there's not a huge actor pool that I know of there to choose from. How did their casting process go? But you have some very good-looking gentlemen in this film. Uh, talk about the casting process. <laughs> well, it was it was fast. I mean, the whole um, the whole movie is, was done very very quickly. Uh, it, it we had an opportunity. The reason why why it got made the way it did is we had an opportunity to get the film into a certain sales agent's hand who could possibly show it at the American film market, uh, which was, you know, to an independent filmmaker, a huge potential boon. And so in, I wrote the script in June of 2017. I wrote it very quickly. I wrote it in a week. Uh, And then we were shooting by August. Uh, so we went from oh blank goodness. page to principal photography in, in two months, basically. And so because of that, because we had to deliver a rough cut of the film by the end of September, we had – it was really, really quick. So I mainly used L.A. casting and SF casting online. I placed ad, We placed ads there. 
and we got about 450 respondents total. Ooh. And so that we had to go through it very quickly. And I was really fortunate that the cast came together as quickly as it did uh, because we just didn't have much time. I mean, we had no time to rehearse. Uh, we got, I'd say most of them, I don't want uh, Michael Champlin, the man who plays Forrest. He was our, he was our San Jose actor. I think everyone else is either from LA or, uh, let's see, Corey Jackson who played Simon was from Vallejo, kind of the North Bay, mm-hmm. but Christian, right. Pano, Mike, uh, they were all from LA no, no, uh, Keith Larson was from San Jose as well, our detective. He was from San Jose. So okay. it was one of those things where it was, just, it was just a whirlwind of looking at self-tapes and audition tapes and talking to them. And, you know, fortunately, it all came together very, very quickly over an 11-day shoot in August. Uh, and it was just so fast. I mean, the whole thing was so fast. I brought up the crew from, from Hollywood Dante, your cinematographer had a great crew uh, that he brought up, and it was just uh, quite a logistical dance that we were able to pull off. And I guess, oh, one thing about the casting, too, I had to make sure that the actors were really on board with what we wanted to do. They had to be comfortable with themselves. They had to be comfortable, you know, kissing another man. Uh, they had right. to be comfortable with a little bit of nudity. Uh, and we were very upfront about that, and luckily everybody really bought into it and got got on board very quickly, and uh, were just terrific to work with. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better cast or crew. They were just excellent, just excellent. That is awesome to hear. I love that. Oh, and talk about, I mean, you, like I said in the intro, you kind of do it all. You, you wrote this, you directed this, you were editing this, um, is that easier a film process for you? Are you able to kind of separate those jobs in your head? Is it one continuous job for you? How do you look upon your filmmaking skill set? Easier? No. Um, can I compartmentalize it? Yes. Uh, one thing that really, really helped uh, was, especially in the post-production was, was Mark Balunas because he helped, he was my co-editor and having both of us be able to edit simultaneously, Mark edited all of the crisis center scenes, and I edited the non-crisis center scenes, which worked out to about fifty-fifty. And Mark is a superb editor. I don't, I don't even have to, you know, I don't have to ch- double-check his work. He knows exactly what I want. He does it perfectly efficiently and, and attention to detail. Uh, so that was a big, big help. Uh, the other thing that I would say was helpful is being able to mix the film myself, to sound mix it. I'd never sound mixed a film professionally before, and doing that saved us a lot of thousands of dollars. Uh, but I would prefer just to be able to focus on, you know, directing and and being able to do a director's cut, but work with a professional editor. It's really all these hats that we all wear is just purely out of budgetary necessity. I, I mean, I, I think, I think my directing skills are, are good and my editing skills are good. Um, but when you have to do everything, I mean, of course your, your objectivity starts to get lost. Uh, so no, I would r- much rather hire individual people that are experts in those fields that do it all the time. For example, like Dante, your uh, my cinematographer. I mean, I, I know enough about cinematography to kind of be dangerous, and I know you know a little bit about lenses and f-stops, but I don't think in that way all the time. 
whereas Dante is constantly seeing cinema through his eyes. And because of that, he, he was able to bring just superb imagery to Crisis Hotline that was just beautiful, in my opinion, and just was a huge part of making the film as successful as it is. Whereas with me, I, you know, I can shoot something and get it in focus, but now, you know, Dante is an expert and that's what makes it stronger. So, uh, you know, that my, I think in terms of storytelling as a director and as a working with actors and performances, that's what I know very well, I think. And I can cut a movie together pretty well, as, you know, also, but, uh, but yeah, it would be more ideal to have those spurts in those positions. Uh, it, it would make right. the film better. It just it's not. <laughs> right. Well, especially to say for Dante and DP work and everything. I mean, that you have such a mood you're setting in this film, especially mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that that's a fantastic. Give of someone you can rely on. And I want to get back to your work with uh, Mark Balunas. There, you guys are basically a uh, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon kind of group. You guys have been working from the very beginning. <laughs> Talk about that partnership. Um, how do you guys work well together? What what kind of um, kind of a nonverbal cues do you guys have to make it seamless between the <laughs> two of you? Well, yeah, I mean, Mark and I met in high school. We've known each other since high school, uh, and we've yeah, he has been there since the very very beginning, since the very first film. Uh, originally, it started where uh, when we started shooting these films on VHS with my friends. Uh, he was like the best actor. He he could just he was just so comfortable on camera. So he starred in all those early underground films, and was very very good. Uh, he just kind of had that natural acting ability. And then even back in those days, he started directing his own short films. Uh, and so he's another guy that can kind of do it all. Well, he's a much better actor than I am, but he can also write and he can direct and he can edit and he does special effects with After Effects and. He's got all of that. As far as our working relationship, what Mark is very, very good at is, first of all, he can check me. Mark is very good at checking me because I will start to – I can very easily kind of go off and and go off on a crazy idea or, and say, oh, or, or I'll <laughs> say, that's good enough. And Mark will say, no, it's not good enough. It's got to be better. So he's he's got that great attention to detail to stop me from – to make sure that I'm up to the standards that we want and that I would ultimately want. Uh, he's also very, very good at, at if the thing that's really important with Mark on the set for me too, is if I ever get in the weeds somewhere, like if a scene is just not working or if I'm just not sure how to get myself out of that corner, I can take Mark aside and go, Mark, you know, I'm, I'm in the weeds here. And he will always have an answer to, uh, you know, a solution to solve it if need be. Um, yeah, people have often said there have been people who have worked on multiple productions that Mark and I will be talking about something on the production or whatever, and we won't even finish sentences and hit, and we'll just know what we're talking about. It's, it's almost like a different language. It's really interesting. Uh, so he's really, really important, uh, to being on a, on a set. And also as far as the post-production, as far as editing, as far as special effects, uh, he's, he's, he's very, very valuable, to making sure everything runs smoothly. He also did all the line producing on crisis hotline, made sure all the checks got cut properly. And uh, he's, he's just very, very good with all that detail and is uh, just one of the best working relationships you could possibly have. That's fantastic. I love hearing that. Very important to have a partner like that. You can count on. 
Let's talk about oh, yeah. a couple of your hats and your writing. As you've said, you, you've gone through different formats and different genres here. Um, where does your writing ideas come from? Where do these stories come from? Um, are you acting upon mostly autobiographical? Does an idea kind of hit your fancy and you think, what would this happen? Or how do you get your best ideas, do you think? Wow. Uh, good question. The my pro- Screenwriting for me is is difficult i would say it's it's a lot it's a lot more work for me than directing or even scheduling or being a first ad i've done that for independent films as well writing for a blank slate usually for me there's there's a couple things that have to happen strangely i have to have a title i can't i can change the title later but i have to start with a title if i don't have a title i, I can't put the first fade in there i can't put the first slug line uh, but as far as what interests me, it's not biographical, really. Yeah, I, I got asked that question a lot before. Like, gosh, did this happen to you? You know, w- w- was Crisis Hotline biographical? And I say, oh God, no. You know, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, it's it, it's it's based on you know. I mean, I have met people who have similar personality aspects of this, but no, that that certainly never, fortunately, never happened to me. Uh, but usually I'm intrigued by stories. The biggest thing that intrigues me is, is this a story that I've seen before? If I haven't seen it, I want to make it. Uh, and that's usually where it comes from. It's usually an idea of something that, you know, I haven't seen this done. And that's what attracts me most to projects anyway. I, I, I don't want to just do something that's been done 10 times before already and just with different people. Um, so that's usually what attracts me is, an idea that, oh, I haven't seen that put on screen in that way before. And that's what, to me, Crisis Hotline is. I haven't really seen that story done that way before uh, at all. I think a lot of lot of work is very, very similar, especially LGBT films. I see a lot of LGBT films that are very similar. It's the same thing over and over again. And I just want to try and do something a little different or see something a little bit different. And they're out there, but you just have to really dig for them. No, very true. And do you do you only um, write your own projects? Have people hired you on to write for them? Um, or do you, do you kind of like to stick to your own work? Oh, I would, I would be totally open to being a, a screenwriter for hire, sure. Uh, the only reason I've really worked – with my scripts is purely because either I have to <laughs> or <laughs> the, the the scripts that I get or that people have wanted to make, uh, I have not been interested in making those. It's just, uh, or I'll insist, Hey, I need you to rewrite X, Y, and Z. And they'll go, no, it's perfect. Well, okay, good luck. <laughs> you know? uh, <laughs> so it's mostly out of that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very open to working on just about any project, uh, because I like the process. I love the process. Um, totally thrilled to be on set. And, I, and it, I don't always have to be directing. I would love to work on a set, you know, pushing a dolly. I'll do that too. Uh, because I just think it's so much, it's such an interesting environment. It always has been. And Mark, Mark Balunas feels the same way. He and I are both similar in that. We just love being on set. We, we've worked on other people's films and we're happy to do it and whatever they need us to do uh, because we just like the atmosphere of it. Very nice. I like that. Collaborative filmmaking at its finest. And talk about your director's hat a bit. Uh, what kind of style would you say you have? What kind of style maybe your actors say you have? 
what what kind of a uh, feeling do you like to put out on your sets? Okay, well, for me, I'd say I'm going to kind of start with the last question as far as what feeling do I want to have on the set. The big, The most important thing for me, actually, is I want everybody to be having fun. Uh, of course, we're working hard. It's times. Sometimes it's very intimate, vulnerable work, of course. But I still want everybody to be comfortable and, and excited to be there. I also want to engender a, a feeling among them that I know what I'm doing, that they don't have to feel like I'm out of control, you know, things are a mess. Mark and I are very, very good at being very organized before shoot day because that's the money hose. That's when all your money is going out the door really fast. So – you know, we're organized. We know what we're doing. If they feel confused, if the actor feels confused or lost, I have an answer for them. They, 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 you know, I'm not, I know what I'm doing. So that's another important thing. As far as my style, I, I really don't have a style. I don't want to necessarily have a style. I want to have a voice, but as far as a style, uh, every film would be different and requires a different style. If there's one director that I really personally admire and I would love to have a similar career to, it would be Sidney Lumet, uh, who did Dog Day Afternoon and Network and you know Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, all these great movies uh, right. that are great stories, very expertly told, but it's not about a Sidney Lumet film. I don't need it to be a Mark Schwab film. Uh, I want to serve the story in whatever way the story requires without you know imprinting my stamp on every single thing uh it's it's much more about i'm much more interested in great performances and a a really absorbing story that people just have to watch to the end and i think city lamette is great at doing that um so i don't i don't know if i necessarily have a style uh i wouldn't i wouldn't say that i think uh the only style i have is i want to tell stories that are original that you haven't seen and that you have to finish watching. You just have to, you can't turn it off. <laughs> there you go. Fair enough. I like that. And I was going to add, that was my next question, both writing and directing. Mm-hmm. So you've answered my directing question. Anyone you look up to or anyone whose career you admire and you would like to follow in the footsteps of, what about writers? Uh, any writers whose style you like pers- um, more than another ones you like to follow? Mm. Wow. Uh, I like a lot of, different types of stuff. I'm pretty varied. I, I'm a big fan of John Cassavetes. Uh, I, mm. I really like John Cassavetes films quite a bit. I also like, uh, to the other end of the spectrum, I really like Christopher Nolan's stuff. I think he's really, he's kind of the modern day Stanley Kubrick a little bit. Uh, I, I like that. Um, i trying to think. Uh, oh, Paul Thomas Anderson, very much. I think he, when you look at a screenplay like Magnolia or Boogie Nights, Those are excellent movie screenplays, I think. They're just superb. I would love to write write something like that or to be able to write something like that. I think that quality of screenwriting is very, very high. Uh, Those are are just – and and, uh, as far as LGBT filmmakers, I actually really like Greg Araki. I'm a big Greg Araki fan. I've always loved Greg Araki's stuff. Even his misses, I think, are way more interesting than most people's, you know, <laughs> hits. Uh, right. So Greg Araki would certainly be I, – I'm a big fan of him. And John Waters, too. Those are two two of my favorites. I've, I grew up with John Waters getting bootleg VHS copies of Multiple Maniacs and Pink Flamingos <laughs> and just, just cracking up at them. I just thought they were hysterical. 
And so I'm still a fan of them. So those would be, I think, some of the ones just off the top of my head that, that I like, that I seek out. Nice. I like it. I, John Waters would be a dream interview of mine. I, I definitely understand. And I, <laughs> Nolan is from my neck of the woods where I'm at right now in Northeast Ohio. He was actually from just uh, about 15 miles away from here. And he's come to do a couple of different things and talk to some of the schools here. So he's, I definitely admire oh, him wonderful. as well. And he gives back a lot. Very much. Great style. He does. Oh, and I'd have to throw in David Lynch too. David Lynch, uh, I would I would watch him read the phone book, and now people are watching him do weather <laughs> reports, so, and it's and it's cool. So I mean, he would be another one that I definitely uh, I like a lot of his work as well. Very very nice. Now let's talk about the state of the industry right now with Corona quarantine and 2020 going on right now. We've seen a lot of different. Um, I wouldn't call them new streaming is not new or anything, but we're seeing a lot of actors and singers and even uh, trainers, personal trainers and stuff getting into it. Uh, It's causing a whole new paradigm shift in how we bring entertainment and content aboard. Do you see this being a long-term effect? Do you see us going back to um, regular filmmaking relatively soon because of the social distancing? Where do you kind of see it in your mind's eye right now well where i see it right now i've talked to a couple people down in hollywood who are a little bit connected and have and have given me a little bit of perspective what is going on right now i guess is the the studios are definitely interested in ramping up production again of course but the thing that's holding up a lot of it is a combination of the insurance companies and the unions Insurance companies right now don't know how to insure film. Uh, they don't know how to do this yet. They're working on it, and they're ne- they, but they have to negotiate with SAG, of course, and keeping them safe. And because if someone got sick, then an entire production would have to be quarantined for two weeks, and it could just cause a mess. So the only right. films that are kind of getting made right now or could get made are films that are really we're talking like sub five hundred thousand dollar budgets that are shot in one or two locations with two or three actors maybe. And they're not even being insured those productions. I mean, they're just signing waivers and saying, we're just going to do it anyway. We're going to shoot it in 10 days and done. Uh, And I also understand there is a buyer's market, you know, companies like Lionsgate, Bloomhouse, I mean, they're calling everybody going, do you have any product? Do you have anything in post-production? So it's one of those things where if you can get a film off the ground and make it decent, and cheap enough, and with a small enough cast and crew, you could probably get a pretty good dollar for it right now because there's just enough demand, uh, desperate demand. I think uh, they're saying that any sort of big movie that has, you know, like Matrix 4, for example, was shooting in San Francisco. I mean, the latest reports are kind of, they're saying nothing until like November or December this year at the earliest will they have something figured out that could shoot anything on a decent-sized scale. Uh, mm. But if you can get something shot that's good over this summer and have it ready by November, you might have a lot of takers. Uh, that's what I'm hearing. The other thing you talked about movie theaters and consuming content. I read a really interesting article. I can't remember the guy's name now, but he pointed out that the famous Paramount decree that went in what 1948, where studios weren't allowed to own movie theaters. They are now right. today's. Uh, they're they're talking about getting rid of that that rule, and if that happens, which I would bet it has a good chance of going away, if that happens, 
And if companies like Amazon and Apple and Disney are able to own their own theaters, absolutely see that. Uh, Amazon in particular, supposedly, there's, they've got some things dra- drafted up on the books that are like, if they can start owning movie theaters, if they can start making their own movie theaters, they could have, you know, they could program certain films for certain territories and open it up to prime members. Like they could take a movie like Crisis Hotline and say, hey, we can put that in a theater in San Francisco or in LA because there's an audience for that. So paradoxically, indie filmmakers might have a better chance of a theatrical release than they've ever had before. Uh, So there's lots of interesting things that could be happening. Yeah. And I mean, you go into an Apple store, for example, and you know, they'll have a movie that's, that's on Apple and you could see it in a theater in the back of the Apple store. Maybe, I mean, who knows? I mean, the possibilities are pretty endless. Uh, so I don't think the theatrical experience is going to be dead. I do think it will be changed. I do think companies like AMC will really struggle. I, I think that's, you know, inevitable. But uh, I think it's going to be an interesting time, and I think it will th- – there is an industry for sure that's still going to be there. It's not – the industry isn't going away. Exciting, thrilling, and scary all at the same time. Well said. Yeah. And talk about yourself personally. Did you have any projects on hold that you're kind of – reimagining or looking to see when they can launch or anything in the future that you have definitely planning to launch? Yeah. Uh, well, there's a Mark and I have spent the last year actually working on a fantastic screenplay. Uh, it's currently titled the Lucidrin experiment. It's a sci-fi thriller uh, that involves dreaming and stuff. It's uh, it's a great script. Uh, we've, we've had a great journey making that script uh, that's one that we're looking for next uh, to, you know, see. We and we just finished it pretty much right before the the whole lockdown thing happened. Uh, but it doesn't mean we're not going to be reaching out to certain people, and we're not. And, and it certainly doesn't mean that there aren't certain people that are interested in looking at it. So there are people that are. That's kind of in the mix to see where that goes. And we are also trying. Mark and I are also trying to put together a kind of a a low budget feature film that could be done safely, uh, but still be really cool to be shot this summer. And we're looking at two different potential scripts for that, that can be done on a low budget with a tight crew and be ready for, you know, November to have something out there, uh, that could be sold. So those are the two things we're working on right now, I can say. Um, and also just staying healthy as well, and also doing additional press for Crisis Hotline uh, because there's been you know been more interest in it lately, and it allows me to come on great shows like yours. Well, I appreciate you doing it, and congratulations on the other projects. Hopefully, we'll see fruition to it. I love the name of your company, Diamond Rough Films. Very very cool. Uh, let you. everyone know we got to start wrapping up here. Where they can find this film, you said Deku, which is an amazing um, LGBT content streaming service. And talk about, you said it was also on some of the other platforms. Let them know where they can find your film, where they can find you, and uh, where they should be on the lookout for future projects. Sure. So they can also find Crisis Hotline on um, um, Here TV. It's also on Amazon Prime. It's on iTunes. And it's also on Tubi. TV. It's also on uh, Vudu, V-U-D-U. It's on Google Play, I believe. Uh, it's also, I think, on Xbox and Fandango Now, 
Um, those are the ones I can think of right offhand. So it it can be found. It's, def, it's definitely in, in, and it's also on DVD. The DVD is cool because it has a commentary with me and Tim Sika from Celluloid Dreams, a great commentary. Tim and I had a lot of fun um, recording that. And it's got interviews with uh, Dante, the cinematographer, as well as a lot of the cast as well. So uh, the, the DVD, and those are only found on the DVD. And where's the site they can get that DVD from? Amazon is the best place to get it, I would say. It is available, I believe, also from Google, um, like on the, on the MSN site, Microsoft Network site, I think, has it. But Amazon's the easiest place to get it, I would say. And as far as what following us, uh, we're on Twitter at DITR Films and Instagram and also www.ditrfilms.com is our website. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on the show, Mark. I appreciate you being on the Let's Straight show. Congratulations on this fantastic movie. And we hope to see much more of you and have you come back as other projects progress. Anytime, Scott. I love being, I would, I would, I'm more than happy to come on Left to Straight anytime. Fantastic, my friend. Well, stay on the line for me. Guys, we're going to play out to a little song here. Be sure to be on the lookout for a special five questions with Mark. We'll have that bonus content coming out in a couple weeks here. But I'll be back on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
Justin Crum with Circles. Brian's going to be with us next Monday as one of our special Music Monday guests. So we have, he has some new music out, so we'll be talking to him on June 1st. Look for that. Guys, thanks so much for listening to the show tonight. i got to give a big shout-out to my guest. Thank you, of course, to Adam Rothenberg from Call Me Adam podcast, blog, and blog. Be sure to check him out. Listen to some of his great interviews. Then our first guest, Rosemary Newell Alexander, are such a treat whenever I have a chance to talk to them. Be sure to watch the Sorted Lives live streaming reading of the original Sorted Lives play this Sunday. Uh, you can, it's raising money for theater companies all across the country. They're hoping to get a big chunk of change for these people that have been really hurting here. So be sure to pay attention to that. You can look get more information on the Dell Shores Foundation website, www.dellshoresfoundation.org. And we're going to continue our special tribute to Dell Shores and Sorted Lives in our work up to this Sunday by having the beautiful, brassy, and audacious Ann Walker on the show tomorrow who played Lavanda in Sorted Lives and has been a great radio host herself and such a great ally to the LGBT community. So she'll be on here tomorrow. And special thanks to Mark Schwab tonight calling in, talking about his movie. If you have not seen uh, the movie, you definitely need to see it. It's a very, very, very excellent He was able to send me over a DVD the other day. It's called Crisis Hotline, and it's a good thriller, um, suspense, keep you on the edge of your seat. Oh, my gosh, what's happening? Kind of movie. It's very good. So be sure to check that out. Watch it on streaming or get yourself a DVD like I have. So that's it. Thanks for tuning in the show tonight. If you're not following me on social, I please wish you would go to Instagram or Twitter at Left of Straight. Left of Straight is always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight. You can check me out on Facebook at the Left of Straight show page and give that a like. You can also give me a friend request on my personal Facebook uh, profile. Scott Fullerton is a public profile. The website is www.leftofstraight.com. We're going to have all the big gay road trip information up. It was supposed to be up by today. It's probably not going to go up until tomorrow now, maybe Thursday. We're running a little behind with so much stuff going on for interviews. It'll have all the information on the big gay road trip that leaves in a few short weeks where we're taking the show from Northeast Ohio to Palm Springs for four weeks of live shows with our special guests driving in from L.A. and Orange County. We're going to be stopping at different LGBT places along way have our own virtual pride uh, tour going back and forth. Since most prides are canceled everywhere, we're going to do our own virtual pride celebration, driving cross country and back, checking in a lot of different communities, and then we'll have some fun from Palm Springs. So follow along on that. So tomorrow, again, we're going to have Ann Walker on to keep up our sorted lives. We're going to have the brilliant and talented Michael Orland on tomorrow. Michael 
was the head vocal coach for American Idol for 16 seasons. He helped train and accompanied all these amazing idolists over the years. Uh, He's also done more theater composing and theater uh, work with theater people like Kristen Chenoweth and, oh, so many great people. And also co-wrote the song Sorry with our buddy David uh, Hernandez, who was out recently, um, the recent song Sorry. He was a co-writer on that. Michael Orr will be visiting us tomorrow. And, of course, if it's Wednesday, we're going to have our J&J Buzz Pop Culture Minute with our two cutie patooties from Nashville, Tennessee, Josh and Jeff. Um, My friends and fiancés will be calling in to give us a pop culture minute tomorrow on the J&J Buzz. So lots of fun stuff happening. Uh, It's got a full week of shows. We're going through Friday every night, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern time, right here on the Let's Straight Radio Network. Be sure to subscribe, download the recipes if you missed some live, the episodes if you missed some live. And I will see you tomorrow night, guys. Have a great evening. Bye-bye.